Hi, I'm Arlen Hamilton, and you're listening to Arlen's Academy, the podcast that teaches everything you need to know about launching a successful business or working at one, all in one place. Arlen's Academy is brought to you completely free by HireRunner.co. HireRunner is my new recruiting company that connects outstanding operations talent with inclusive startups. If you're looking for talent or you want to apply to be a runner, visit HireRunner.co. Remember, all of the material you're about to hear is accessible online at arlensacademy.com. If you're enjoying what you're learning and want to dig even deeper and learn more, visit the site now. Be sure to tell your friends. As a reminder, this content is not legal or financial advice and is strictly for educational and informational purposes only. This is not an offer for the sale of cryptocurrencies. Do your own research and consult with a professional familiar with your specific financial position and goals. Cryptocurrencies are a highly volatile emerging asset class. Okay, so this is the lesson overview. We finished with lesson one. Moving on to lesson two, crypto and blockchain 101. Before delving into what crypto is, I want to take a either a step back or a wider view, actually, of what is money. And then we will move on to what is blockchain and then what is cryptocurrency. The first fundamental understanding that we have to address is that money in general, regardless of whether it is fiat, also known as government-issued currency or cryptocurrencies, money is a social agreement, a social contract. We all have to agree. Because, for example, the United States dollar is based on the full faith and credit of the government. We have to trust in the full faith and credit of the government. The U.S. dollar has not been backed by gold reserves, for example, for decades. So money is a social agreement and it requires trust. It also requires that a sufficient number of people have and hold it. And also that merchants, sellers, must trust that it's valuable and also accepted as a form of payment. And finally, society must trust that money is valuable and that it will remain so over time. The concept of value is important and it stretches over the millennia. There are innumerable representations of value over time. Seashells, salt, sugarcane, gold, silver, and those inherently valuable commodities. If I look at a chicken, I know that it has to do with actually eating or for shoes, with wearing. We can have someone raising chickens and a cobbler making shoes, and they can come to an agreement of the number of chickens for the pair of shoes that they might exchange to engage in transactions and commerce. As people moved beyond their trusted circles, their tight-knit communities that were established on trust, engaging in transactions with other communities, with other cities, states, countries. That required that 
an intermediary, some trusted party where A trusted the bank and B trusted the bank, but A and B didn't know each other, or at least they didn't have established trust. These intermediaries that would provide the trust so that people could engage beyond and outside of trusted circles. And that is a very distilled version of how these trusted intermediaries, the banking system, obviously it has to do with governments as well, outside of, again, trusted, organic, smaller communities. Now, the interesting thing with the trusted intermediary is sometimes they're not always operating in the best interest of community. For example, we have former Fed chair Alan Greenspan summing up the, cons well, he's not talking about the problem, but I'm identifying a, a particular concern, an inflationary concern where he says, and I quote, this is back in 2011, but the game is still the same in 2020, 2021, and beyond, that the United States can pay any debt it has because we can always print money to do that. So there's zero probability of default. This is what Greenspan said. We find ourselves in such a time where the United States and indeed the world is trying to print its way out of the problems, the economic crisis, not just a problem, but the economic crisis created by the pandemic and arguably, of course, the mismanagement of the pandemic. But the point here is the idea of the full faith and credit of a government that controls not only monetary policy, but also the flow of money and the printing, the creation of money into the, into the stream of commerce. There's a good side, but also a downside when there is no limit. Taking that concept and moving forward, comparing and contrasting the United States dollar, for example, to cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrencies are digital cash for a digital age. It's a peer-to-peer -peer method of transacting without having to rely on a bank or a government or some other entity to give you permission in order to engage in a transaction. Peer-to-peer -peer cash. Think of it in the same way that peer-to-peer -peer file sharing came into vogue in, in the 90s and the ability to remove the you know, intermediary, some third party between me and you, I could, you know, with my fuzzy slippers on in my home, send to you a perfect digital copy of an MP3 file, for example, and not just you, but other people. There are significant limitations on crypto because of the novel cryptographic protocol that I will talk about in a moment, a means of making sure that there is no double spin, that I can only send a transaction one time, not to multiple parties. But crypto is digital cash for the digital age. It's similar in many ways to regular government-issued money, again, also known as fiat, F-I-A-T. But with crypto, it's digital only. There's no physical representation of cryptocurrency. So how is crypto different from other currency? So in order to really understand cryptocurrencies, and we'll delve a bit more into the nuts and bolts in a future slide, but to do a side-by-side -side comparison with cryptocurrencies and fiat, we'll focus on the United States dollar for purposes of our comparison here, but you would do the same calculation for other government-issued currencies. So who manages it? how it holds its value, how it's secured, 
whether there are physical bills and or coins, and whether you can buy goods or services. Focusing first on cryptocurrencies and who manages it, crypto is managed by a network of computers running an open source software code. With other currencies, the government issues it and therefore the government manages it. The monetary policy, the amount of money in circulation at any given time, and so forth. Now, with respect to how crypto holds its value, the value is primarily based on supply and demand. If there's more demand than supply, price goes up. If there's more supply than demand, the price goes down. And that's how the value moves. With other currencies, the United States dollar, and, and remember what I just told you about Alan Greenspan, the value of USD is primarily based on the confidence in the government that issues it. How is cryptocurrency secured? It's secured by a network of computers. That network of computers, is there. each computer, also known as a node, is running that cryptocurrency's particular software. And that software is verifying and agreeing to every transaction, not just the software, but what we call consensus. I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. moment excuse me. But anyone with an internet connection can participate. In order to hold Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, you don't have to participate in the verification of transactions. So you don't have to run the Bitcoin software, for example, but you can. And we'll talk about why you might do that in making your decision of, in addition to perhaps owning Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency, whether you will participate in maintaining the security of and the authenticity of the transactions. On the fiat side, how it's secured by third parties like banks and governments, and only a select few can actually participate in securing the monetary supply. We already know that there are no physical bills or coins when you're dealing with crypto, but there are with fiat. And then the last point, can you buy goods and services? You absolutely can use cryptocurrency to pay for goods and services. Obviously, it's only where merchants accept it, but because, as you know from Lesson 1, forms like PayPal and Venmo and Cash App, Visa, MasterCard are all getting in the game, both on the consumer side and the merchant side, it's going to be far easier in the months and years to come to actually use crypto for your daily transactions. With respect to and that's anywhere in the world. You don't have to be in a particular jurisdiction in order to spend Bitcoin or Litecoin or Ether, Bcash, some of the other cryptocurrencies that we'll talk about in a moment. Now, when you're dealing with government-issued currencies, obviously you can use it to buy goods and services, but typically only in the country that issues it. You can get a little further around the world with the U.S. dollar, but that's not always the case. And foreign exchange rules are at play as well. What can you do with crypto? So as I mentioned, you can do anything with crypto that you can do with fiat. You can shop, you can dine, you can donate, you can gift, you can tip, you can travel. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how you can spend, excuse me, you can actually earn Bitcoin with certain platforms. Here is Lolly. Lolly is a fantastic platform that allows you to earn Bitcoin back in the same way you might earn cash back with other platforms or transactions. You can go to Lolly, 
and lolly.com and set up an account and actually earn quote unquote cashback rewards, but Bitcoin or what we call Satoshis, which is the smallest unit of Bitcoin. You don't have to buy or sell or earn an entire Bitcoin. The fractional interest in Bitcoin is actually very, very exciting and actually distinguishes it from stocks, for example. So lolly.com is a great way to earn free Bitcoin. You can use the link that you see there for a referral to lolly.com. And Brave, you can use the Brave browser. It's a Chromium-based browser, and you can earn BAT, the basic attention token, which is connected to the Brave browser by deciding whether or not you're going to look at ads. You're actually paid for your eyeballs. The attention economy is, is very, very important, and Brave is a great browser for that purpose. Now, what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency, and although there were digital currencies that predate Bitcoin, Bitcoin was a game changer, and we'll talk about why. So Bitcoin was introduced on October 31st, 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto. We don't know who he, she, or they are, but we do have Satoshi's nine-page white paper. Here's a link. Uh, in this slide, I also have it in your resources, additional resources at the end of this lesson. So I definitely want you to take a look at the white paper. On January 3rd, 2009, Satoshi released the code and the first Bitcoins were created by the Bitcoin software. Bitcoin is often compared to gold and gold's limited supply. There will only and always ever be 21 million Bitcoins. So there's not an Alan Greenspan moment of mining or creating more Bitcoin. The software has been predefined to only have 21 million Bitcoin ever in supply. So as demand increases and supply decreases, again, not financial advice, but the idea over time is that it would increase in value as the supply decreases to the point of not being created. And there more, there's more and more attention paid to and demand for Bitcoin. Unlike gold, of course, Bitcoin is digital and therefore much easier to divide, to transfer, and of course, to store. Now, why did Satoki Nakamoto go through all this trouble? Satoshi created the Bitcoin blockchain, which is, you know, it's described in full in the white paper. So I want you to read it launched, as I mentioned, in 2009 to solve for what we call the double spend problem for digital currency. So what I talked about earlier in this lesson, if I had an MP3 pile, file, I could duplicate that, not exhaust the one that I have. So I still have it on my device, but I could also send it to you. Now you have a perfect digital copy as well. And when you think about that uh, in terms of money, that would be highly problematic. So Satoshi came up with a novel way based on the certain characteristics of a blockchain, we'll talk about that in a moment, to secure and to verify that if Ann has two Bitcoin and Bob has no Bitcoin and she sends one Bitcoin to Bob, then Ann has one, Bob has one, and that record of transactions is maintained by a blockchain. So the Bitcoin blockchain records the transactions and the balances of all Bitcoin holders and Bitcoin transactions and other types of cryptocurrencies 
have their own blockchain, which is essentially a record of transactions and balances for a particular type of cryptocurrency. Now, we think that we are living in a digital age. I can't remember that the last time I saw a paper check, for example, right? But we are really living in the age of a digital veneer over an age-old current financial system, that double entry ledger system, where if I sent you $100 from my bank account, at the end of the day, my bank has to reconcile it. Your bank has to reconcile it. It could take some time to do that. There could be human error. People could change information. And that is highly problematic. It's very inefficient and can be very costly when you're dealing with intermediaries. Now, as I mentioned, there are different types of cryptocurrencies. So let's take a look at that. There are five basic categories of coins and over 7,900 and counting different types of cryptocurrency coins, a native coin or token, a type of digital asset that doesn't have its own blockchain and is instead recorded to another chain. And so you have public coins, that's Bitcoin. It's public and it's permissionless. You don't have to ask permission. All you need is a Bitcoin wallet and you're in the game. And there is a misnomer or a misunderstanding, not a misnomer, a, a misunderstanding, I should say, about whether or not coin and other public permissionless coins are anonymous. They're not anonymous, they're pseudonymous. Everyone has a public address, a public private key pairing. I'll say a tiny bit more about that when we get to the blockchain portion, but it's not anonymous, it's pseudonymous. But there are some privacy coins, Zcash, Monero that actually do operate in an anonymous fashion. It's very vexing for law enforcement if they're trying to find out whether there is some money laundering or other nefarious activities used with cryptocurrencies. And so privacy coins can be problematic, but also think if I had a dollar and we were in the same space and I gave that dollar to you, no one would know. There's a great deal of privacy that we should expect when we are using money assuming that we're using it for things other than some nefarious purpose. And just because you are privately engaging in transactions doesn't mean you're a criminal. And so privacy alone shouldn't be the justification for private, therefore illegal. But again, the fact that so much can be done on the illegal side with privacy coins in particular makes it problematic, can be problematic, I should say. Then you have stablecoins. You're going to hear a lot about stablecoins. There was a recent act or bill introduced by Representative Talib's office for stablecoins. Stablecoins are, are coins that hold their value. So you've heard a lot probably about the high volatility, and I certainly say it in my own disclaimer, the volatility in cryptocurrencies. Stablecoins seek to remedy that issue and to protect the consumer by holding the value. In the case of UDC, for example, and Tether, Tether is a, a decentralized coin that is not, I want to call it private, but, but a decentralized coin that is different in some respects from USDC that has a centralized entity behind it. But both assert that they are backed or their currency, their cryptocurrency is backed one-to-one -one by the, the United States dollar. We can't even say that about the United States dollar given our fractional reserve. So being backed one-to-one -one 
provide stability and certainty about holding value over time. Something that I mentioned is very important. And then you have exchange tokens. So for a cryptocurrency exchange, that exchange of Binance has its own, for example, BNB or Gemini has its own token, the Gemini USD as well, so that it has some utility. You can actually use it. It's useful on the exchange, but also has some value on the secondary market. And then finally, central bank digital currencies. China is the first to, the first out the, out the gate with, with its central bank digital currency. Other governments, including ours, are taking note about whether or not to issue a central bank-controlled digital currency. That is certainly not the vision of Satoshi, who wished for a purely decentralized realm, but it is something that may come down the pike. Think digital dollar that is controlled at the central bank level. I wanted to quickly introduce you to coinmarketcap.com and encourage you to visit it. It is not, there's no cost involved. It's not beholden to any particular project, but this is where you can get historical data of all different types of cryptocurrency. I also want to show you over the next few slides how volatile crypto can be and also the fact that we happen to be in a bull market right now for Bitcoin in particular. Here, when I first started teaching this course back in June of 2020, Bitcoin was priced at 10,532 and change. If you look at the upper left corner, I know it's a bit small, but the number of different types of cryptocurrencies, 7,279. That was in June of, this, of, of 2020. In October, October 19th, we'd gone from 10 to $11,351.85. And now we have 7,400 plus cryptocurrencies. Just 10 days later, we went from 10,000 and changed to 13,5 with 7,500 plus cryptocurrency. That's just 10 days later. And three weeks later, we went from 13 to 17.7 and change, and 7,700 cryptocurrencies and counting. And the date that I'm actually recording this material, December 11th, the price is $18,312.46. We have almost 8,000 different types of cryptocurrencies. The price is flirting with the all-time high of just under 20,000. And so you can see in a very short period of time, I don't know any other asset that is as volatile as crypto in general, coin in particular. A lot of the other cryptocurrencies move. Bitcoin, because of its dominant market share, is kind of the tide that lifts all many boats, not all boats, but many. But it also has the most historical data because we are in the 11th year of the existence of the Bitcoin blockchain and the Bitcoin cryptocurrency. So I always get asked this question, so let's deal with it. Is crypto legal? The answer is, of course, a lawyerly one. Assuming you're not in a country that has banned cryptocurrency, we, I start with that caveat. Its existence, the existence of cryptocurrency at this moment in time is legal. Of course, it's how you use it that depends. Now, what is blockchain? When you think of the Web 2.0 reality that we are just moving out of as we move into Web 3.0. And, and blockchain is one of the types of technologies involved in the next iteration of the internet, the internet of value. You probably have also heard of 
the internet of things. So you're talking about smart devices, artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, automation, augmented reality, virtual reality, 3D printing. All of those are Web3 technologies going beyond Web 2.0's exchange of information to deal with a next level of internet of the interconnectedness of things instead of people and also the internet of value, the exchange across borders of value. And I love this quote by Don and Alex Tapscott that blockchain is an incorruptible digital ledger. Remember, that's just a record. It's a database that is maintaining transactions and balances, also known as a ledger. So a digital ledger of economic transactions that can be programmed to record not just financial transactions, but anything, virtually anything and everything of value. So blockchains are a database of transactions and balances, most commonly applied to cryptocurrencies, also referred to as a ledger, not controlled by a centralized party. As long as it's public and permissionless, there can be a centralized digital, excuse me, digital ledger or distributed ledger. So loosely, we would call that a blockchain. But in the purest sense, you're talking about a public and permissionless blockchain. And it's also managed by a network of computers running the blockchain's software. Think of it as a group text. If you're involved, you know, I'm distilling it to its bare essence. If you're on a group text and you delete it from your phone, you've not deleted it from the other phones. There's still a record of that. And unless and until the last person actually deletes it from their phone, there is some record of it. So think of it as a group text. So taking a look at the core technological components of blockchains, you have peer-to-peer networks, public-private key cryptographic encryption and digital signatures, and also the internet. In the time that we have together, I won't be able to delve very deeply into each of these. So if you're not familiar with any or all of these terms, please go ahead and ask Dr. Google or go to YouTube University, (laughs) or you can always email me as well at, at, as well. So visit advantageevans.com, submit a query, and I'm happy to get back to you and provide additional information. In terms of the core characteristics of blockchains, you have consensus mechanisms based on market-based or game theory, the app end only nature, meaning you can add information to a blockchain to be stored and accessed, but you can't delete. So that makes it resilient or resistant to chain, resistant to tampering and therefore more secure. And also the idea or the fact that blockchains are disintermediated, that that trusted third party that Anne and Bob usually rely on when Anne and Bob don't know or trust each other, that third party is removed. They don't have to trust each other and may still not know Bob, but now they trust the code because blockchain software is generally speaking an open source software that is fully transparent, It's capable of being audited. You can see the transactions because the ledger is public. And so people don't have to trust each other because they trust the code and they trust the ledger. And finally, that blockchains are transnational. They're borderless. It's not beholden to one jurisdiction. So that makes it very different from foreign currencies, for example, in foreign exchange. Blockchain mechanics 101 in one slide. Let's go. So a blockchain is a digital spreadsheet of transactions and and that digital spreadsheet, the ledger, the record, they're all different ways to describe the same thing. This record of transactions is shared 
across a network of computers charged with the duty to maintain that information. Each computer in the network of computers that runs a full version of a blockchain's software is called a node, a computer node. Whenever a new transaction occurs, that new transaction of and to Bob, and sends one Bitcoin to Bob, for example, those new transactions are broadcast to the network and verified by each node. This happens automatically when a node is actively running the software. The software is the set of rules, and either a transaction meets the rules or it doesn't. It's either verified or not. Verified transactions are grouped together in regular intervals by network consensus, meaning that the node says, yes, this is verified, and the next node does, and the next node does. You don't have to work, wait for every node to do so, but they're operating together all running the same software, the same set of rules to either verify or reject a particular transaction. There are various methods to do this. You may have heard of proof of work or proof of stake. Please use your glossary if you're not familiar with these terms to look them up. A group of verified transactions is called a block. Now we're getting somewhere. We're getting to almost the blocks in the chain. New blocks are added to the chain by a special type of computer node called in the case of a proof-of-work protocol, a miner. You may have heard of, of Bitcoin mining, for example. So that miner is running separate and special software as well because they have a separate additive function. In addition to verifying transactions, miners have a unique purpose. They are also competing to solve a mathematical equation. This is distilled to really simple terms. The first miner to solve this equation wins the block reward, which is newly minted Bitcoin. When Bitcoin, the Bitcoin for protocol first was released, 50 Bitcoin were awarded for every new block. Every four years, the number or the amount of Bitcoin that represents the block reward is reduced by half. We call it a halving or happening event. It happens every four years. We actually just had a happening be, happen at the, in, in 2020. So the winner, that miner, gets the block reward right now. And so it went from 50 to 25. We're now in the 12.5 era. The new block is then added to the chain. And blocks are interrelated because each block contains part of the previous block's data. And I want to give you a visual before we end this lesson so that you have an idea of what that looks like. So if you begin at the bottom left of your screen, you see that in the case of the Bitcoin blockchain, roughly every 10 minutes, a new block is added to the chain in, in roughly the same 10-minute interval. So the number of block one transactions could be 500 transactions. It could be 100 transactions. Presumably, it could be 1,000 transactions or more. It just depends on how many happen in that particular a block of, I don't want to use the word block, that, that particular interval of time, I should say. But all of those transactions have their unique uh, alphanumeric uh, string of information, also known as a hash. All of those are distilled into what is referred to as a Merkle root. Please refer to your glossary to look that up if you're not familiar. And it is its own alphanumeric string. So all of those transactions are represented in one alphanumeric string. That Merkle root is added to the half, excuse me, the hash of the previous block header 
and further distilled or hashed into its own alphanumeric string. And that way, the Genesis block, the one that comes before block one, Genesis block is the only block that doesn't have a block that precedes it. So you're looking at block one here preceded by the Genesis block. The hash of that Genesis, Genesis block is, is combined, hashed with the Merkle root to combine and create a final alphanumeric string that becomes the block one header. And then you begin with block two transactions for the same process and block three transactions for the same process. They are all interrelated in order to undo one. And, and this has gone on for 11 years. So the security of the blockchain continues and it gets more substantial. We're talking specifically about the Bitcoin blockchain here as it continues to go on. And so that makes it so secure. It's not to say that it's impervious, but it has not been hacked yet. If you hear about hackings, they generally are, they involve exchanges where cryptocurrencies are exchanged, not the protocol. There are some protocols that have been compromised, but not the Bitcoin blockchain. All right, here is your action step for lesson two. I want you to read the Bitcoin white paper from Satoshi, the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. And you can find that at bitcoin.org. And I have the link to follow in the next slide as well. All right, there it is. Actually, we have the Satoshi white paper showing on your screen right now. You can click on that or you can go to bitcoin.org. All right. It's been great spending this time with you. Next lesson is lesson three. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, you can check out more at arlensacademy.com. And don't forget, this entire show is brought to you completely free by my company, Higher Runner. To find outstanding talent for your startup, visit higherrunner.co. Thanks for listening.